So, as Martin uh, mentioned, in the next three weeks we're particularly looking at areas of church life connected with leadership, connected with church ministry. Next week is a a really significant week. Martin, Martin will be speaking about why we consider it important to have an eldership team in this church. Uh, but he'll also be speaking about uh, the significance of other leaders uh, and uh, coordinators and senior leaders working alongside the eldership team. So he wants to spend some time looking at that whole issue next week and particularly looking at what the Bible says and how we understand and interpret Scripture in regards to the whole area of church leadership. And we're going to follow that up with a uh, Bible seminar in the evening so that we're, we're sort of swapping the seminar and encounter around because we consider it to be an important issue that we really want to just give some time to at this particular point. The following week, uh, the last week of this series, Dave will spend some time looking at how we all find our place, how we function and serve and connect with the body of Christ. And so those are uh, th- that's what's coming up. But for this week, I'd like to spend some time looking at the issue of servant leadership and it seems interesting and quite timely that in the context of all that we're talking about in regard to leadership in the nation and the complications surrounding that and people sort of competing for leadership roles the issue of servant leadership seems a a very significant and important issue my desire today is to be very open with you very honest about some of the challenges, some of the struggles that I have personally faced uh, as I've taken on various leadership uh, roles over the years. Um, I think Helen and I were asked to help to uh, take on elements of youth leadership and young adults leadership in the mid-1990s. And so since then until now, there have been all sorts of uh, areas of leadership and all sorts of interesting challenges for me personally and also some vulnerabilities that I've had to face and to deal with. Significant moments of vulnerability, if I'm honest. And so, I'd actually like to start by just discussing some of those areas that I believe are ongoing challenges in regard to leadership, um, and particularly in regard to spiritual leadership. Although we've mentioned other aspects of leadership, and we recognise the significance and the importance of leadership in all sorts of different areas and contexts, Um, We're particularly talking about spiritual leadership here, Uh, and so I'd like to do a little bit of that, and then we'd like to get into the Bible. Well, I'd like to get into the Bible together. Uh, I hope you agree. Um, You might wonder, well, what's this first bit about? You know, what? Why? Why am I doing this? Well, I think first of all, I would like, as a leader, to be accountable to you, as a congregation. So that's the first thing, just to say that, in all honesty. Secondly, I hope that this may help other leaders in this room, help them to be uh, aware or just be reminded, because many of you will be aware anyway, of the sorts of challenges that we can face. And thirdly, I think it helps us to see the significance of servant leadership and actually how it is really important for us to remain humble when we're in positions of responsibility. So that's why I'm doing this little bit here. So here we go. I think that spiritual leadership is shaped and formed by worship. And I believe that my leadership has been shaped positively by the worship of God and at times 
negatively by the worship of me. I think one of the biggest, sometimes I think it's been mixed, it's been shaped by a troubling mix of both of those things. Because I think one of the biggest challenges in leadership is what I would define as self-glory. Because it's very intoxicating to receive the praise of other people. And any area, I would suggest to you, any area of public leadership has that vulnerability, that danger that pride sort of kicks in. And pride can prevent honesty. So, there may have been times, no, there have been times, where pride would stop me being entirely open about how well I'm doing with God, how well I'm doing in my family, how well I'm doing in my marriage. Because what would people think of me as a leader if I was really honest? Let me give you the most recent example, which sadly is about three weeks ago. Helen was speaking, uh, you may remember Helen spoke from Acts about Peter, uh, it was in our prayer series where people were praying for Peter to be released from, from prison and Peter was asleep between two guards and she felt prophetically that there may be people in the room who were struggling with the issue of sleeping. And so she got people to put their hands up and then she prayed and different members of the prayer team went and laid hands on these people and prayed for them. I, at that time, was struggling to sleep. My wife, more than anyone, knew that. And yet, I did not put my hand up. Because I, I, I could justify it in all sorts of ways if I wanted to. I could try, oh, you know, I don't want to make the church feel vulnerable and insecure and blah, 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 blah. But the reality was, I would say, my temptation was to say, well, what will the church think of me if I admit that weakness? And so I didn't. I subsequently spoke to people and said, look, I'm struggling to sleep uh, and various people have since prayed for me. I know Maureen's one of them. But just as an example. So I think sometimes in leadership, my temptation has been to make it too much about performance. And sometimes I have to go back and preach the gospel to myself again so that I realise that my standing with my Heavenly Father is not based upon my performance, but it's based upon Jesus' performance. It's based upon what he has already done, what he's already achieved on my behalf. And so if I give too much credence to the sermons that I preach, why I do that, I don't know, or to the mission statements that I write, then I think there's a problem. There's a performance problem. If there are tasks in the church which I would consider things I shouldn't have to do because I'm the leader, then again, there's a heart attitude question that needs to be examined. Why do I mention these things? I just want to be open with you because I think there's always battles for all of us. And leaders, more than anyone, need to know their place. And I need to know my place. And my place, praise God, is as a son 
rescued and saved by a loving Heavenly Father even though I never deserved it. My place actually is as a worshipper, giving glory to Jesus and not to myself. Pointing people to Jesus and not to myself. Bringing honour to Jesus and not to myself. Being a servant leader. So with these things in mind, and that as a backdrop, there's a little bit of honesty for you. Hopefully that's helpful. It's very interesting. I remember hearing a story once where said, if a vicar walked into the church one Sunday and said, well, I've had a terrible day. My wife and I are not speaking. She's not even in the service in the morning. She's going to the children's group. She can't even bear to look at me. And I don't feel like preaching. I just want to go home. So can we just give it a rest today? Um, the, the, the guy who told that, that, made that scenario up said, probably half the congregation would think, oh, thank goodness, he's normal, just like the rest of us. Because <laughs> there's that sense by which we don't want to be in a place of performance. We want to be honest and open. And so, but in the context of servant leadership, let's just look at, look at this. Let's look at the ultimate example of servant leadership. In Matthew 20 and Mark 10, the followers of Jesus are vying for position. They're competing. You know, my cassock's bigger than your cassock, that sort of thing. They're, they're, they're competing for areas of importance. Mark also records in chapter 9, they're arguing about who's the greatest. You know, I'm the greatest. Muhammad Ali, I'm the greatest. Uh, and Jesus speaks into this attitude as they're all competing for position. And he, in Mark 10 from verse 43, which actually forms the basis of our, our particular poster for this series, Jesus says this, he says, Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the the words of Jesus here are recorded by this writer called Mark. Mark, in his gospel, gospel simply means good news, the good news of what was written down. And so Mark, in his gospel, the very beginning of his gospel, so this is recorded by Mark, but early on, right at the very beginning of his gospel, Mark says this, the beginning of the gospel, see, that's what I said, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in the prophet Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So, Jesus, who is recorded as speaking about the importance of servant leadership in Mark's gospel, is very quickly identified by this same writer, by Mark. First of all, Mark says, Jesus is Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Christos was a Greek word meaning anointed royal figure. It was another way of referring to the Messiah, the one who would come and establish God's rule on the earth. Not just a king, but the king. So Mark starts by calling Jesus Christ. He then goes further than that. He says that Jesus is the Son of God. Now that actually goes way beyond any popular understanding of what was meant by the word Messiah at the time that Mark was writing this. So he already goes beyond the word Messiah and he makes a claim that Jesus is divine. Outright claim of divinity. Mark then goes beyond even that. He then makes reference to Isaiah's prophetic passage, the voice in the desert preparing the way for the Lord. So in 
So what, what Mark's saying is Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, he's divine. Actually, he is God himself. So, right at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, the identity of Jesus is established. Leader of all leaders. As I've already said, in a leadership role, there's a temptation to big yourself up. To consider yourself more important than you really are. I want to suggest to you that the very first leader of the human race fell for that temptation. God created Adam, established him in his leadership role. But the devil came and tempted Adam. And Adam looked upon that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the only tree in the Garden of Eden that God said, you shall not eat. And as he looked upon that tree, and as as Adam heard the devil's words, well, if you eat that tree, if you eat that tree, Adam, you'll, you'll have knowledge. You'll be, Adam, you'll be like God. As he heard those words, I want to suggest to you that pride became more important than obedience. And as a result, Adam made that disastrous choice. Pride got the better of him. A desire to know more. A desire to be more important. To be like God. Now if we contrast that with Jesus and we go back to Mark's Gospel we see in chapter 1 verse 12 it says this At once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the desert and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Now that's actually all that Mark, who's a pretty fast-moving writer, that's all he says about the temptation of Jesus. But actually in Matthew's Gospel, there's a lot more detail. We actually discover that Jesus is, is tempted to prove himself. Come on Jesus, prove yourself. Prove who you are. Throw yourself off this high place and let's see if angels catch you. You know, come on Jesus, turn stones into bread. Come on, you can, I tell you what Jesus, have, why don't you have all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down and worship the devil. All of, these, all of these temptations were about power and profile and prestige. But unlike Adam, Jesus refused to give in. He refused to let pride break in and consume him. Each time he fought off the temptation with scripture and he came through this great challenge. And the issue here is that Jesus didn't need to prove anything. As I've said, Mark in his Gospel, right at the beginning, makes it very clear Jesus has divine identity. He truly is God in human form. But more than that, before Jesus is tempted, before Jesus is tempted, he's baptised. And when Jesus is baptised, Mark 1 verse 11, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he hears his Father speak to him, and a voice comes from heaven, you are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Boom. See, Jesus didn't need to grab power. He wasn't motivated by pride or self-promotion. He already knew who he was. And out of that identity, he chooses to serve. He doesn't give in to pride and to reaching and grabbing for something else. In John 13, we see Jesus take the role of a low servant by washing the feet of his disciples. Jesus, 
As he does this, he teaches them the significance of servant leadership. In John 13, verse 3, it says this, Jesus knew that the Father had placed all things under his power. And on the back of that knowledge, he then washed the feet of his followers. So, Jesus knew all things had been placed under his power. And then he washes their feet. So that means that this act of service uh, resulted not from Jesus forgetting who he was, but from Jesus remembering who he was. This task, the task of washing feet, was reserved for the very lowest and most junior slave. It was an essential task, but actually, in that room where they were, a rented room, there were no slaves. It wasn't as if they'd gone into the household of someone who had slaves. There were no slaves there. So there was no one to do this job, this essential job of washing feet. It's interesting, none of the disciples considered themselves um, prepared to lower themselves in order to take on that role. They wouldn't do that in front of one another. Maybe it was to do with the fact they were still competing with one another for, for power or whatever. But Jesus did it. He was willing to let go of his rights of position and do this task. His identity as supreme son of God didn't lead him to be arrogant or entitled. It had the opposite impact. And so, the great lessons made clear here by Jesus, verses 14 to 17, in effect he says, look, you're not greater than your master, and he's willing to do this thing, so you must also be willing to do this thing. If you're to be my ambassadors, if you're called to represent my will and my way, if you're called to be people demonstrating my redeeming love and my redeeming grace, then you, you've got to recognize there mustn't be a task which is below you. Jesus had no problem serving because he knew who he was. And this is emphasized most powerfully in one particular passage, and that's Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. Here, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He's encouraging the Christians there to have a humble attitude. And this is what he says. He says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and, he, and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus, remembering who he was in very nature God, performed the greatest act of servanthood in the whole history of the human race as he died on the cross. There may be people in this room, and Maggie made reference to this during communion, people who are perhaps not sure of your faith, you're not sure what you make of God, you're not sure you're a Christian, you're not sure if you have a relationship with God, you're not sure that when you die you will go to heaven. You're not sure that God has forgiven you for all the things you've done wrong. You're not sure there was ever a time where you committed your life to God. If you're in that category today, can I encourage you today to put your faith in what Christ has already achieved by his death on the cross? Anyone who believes in Jesus can be free. This act of servanthood, this 
death on the cross paid the price for all of your sin. And anyone who believes in Jesus and puts their faith in all that he has achieved on the cross will have eternal life. If that's you, I want to encourage you. There will be a prayer team who will be gathering over here. Please go to that prayer team at the end of the meeting. Say, that is me and I need to be sure of my faith. Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross. So when God spoke to Adam and said, Adam, obey me about the tree. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good or evil or you will die. What did Adam choose? He chose death over obedience. And when God spoke to Jesus and said, obey me about the tree, this time the tree was the cross, God called his son to obey him. Jesus chose obedience over life. Let's not miss that. Adam chose death over obedience. Jesus chose obedience over life. God said to to Adam, obey me about the tree and you won't die. God the Father said to his son, obey me about the tree and you will die. Adam was motivated by pride, pursuing his profile, his own position. Jesus was motivated by love, serving rather than being served, giving his life as a ransom. So, throughout the New Testament, we can see Jesus teaching and modelling servant leadership. But each of the examples I've just mentioned have a very important precursor to them. Before Jesus resisted all of the temptations in the wilderness, he'd received, during his baptism, his father's affirmation about his identity. This is my son, with whom I love. Who I love, with whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he knew, it says, that the father had placed all things under his power. And before Paul tells us about Jesus going as a servant to the cross, he reminds us that Jesus was, in very nature, God. Each time, Jesus served out of knowing who he was. And I think there's a really important lesson for each of us. When we know who we are, we are empowered to serve. If we don't know who we are, we start striving to be someone. And we are much less likely to serve. Or, We serve, but we serve with wrong motivation. We serve because we think it earns us heavenly points. Or we we serve to get ourselves noticed. Or we serve so that people like us. So I want to suggest that I am more likely to be effective as a servant leader if I am secure in understanding my identity in Christ. And I believe that's true for all of us. When we remember who we are, we are less likely to be striving to be someone. When we remember who we are. Who are we? Do we remember? If you're a Christian here today, you're a child of God. You've been adopted into his family. He chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You've been saved You've been rescued by Christ's death on the cross. He was prepared to die for you. You are the pinnacle 
of his creation. There's nothing more precious that he has created. You haven't got to strive to be someone. You're already a son or a daughter of the king, a prince, a princess, part of the glorious family of God. So whether we are a leader or not, our identity in Christ creates a firm foundation on which servanthood can then be built. I'd like to conclude by, brief today, I'd like to conclude by saying how privileged I feel to be involved in leading a church where there are so many people who are committed to serve. It's just overwhelming. People who are committed to serve in this place. Those who serve in worship band and PA and projector, people who provide technical support, service managers, stewards, welcomers, children's workers, youth leaders, prophecy givers, tongue speakers, interpreters, those who pray, those who clean, those who serve communion, those who serve tea and coffee, midweek group leaders, overseers, directors, community project workers, administrators, staff team members, kitchen team members, project students, Thank you, Tim. Pastoral workers, Alpha leaders, Freedom in Christ leaders, visitors, magazine editors, researchers, administrators, men's breakfast leaders, ladies' group leaders, tea and testimony leaders, mentors, disciples, core team members, consultants, elders, international missionaries, street pastors. It's incredible. It's incredible. Thank you so much everyone who serves in all sorts of different ways. If I missed you out, it's good for your heart. This is about servant leadership. Let me leave you with the words of the Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter 5, from verse 6, Paul says that, uh, Peter says this to, to senior church leaders. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. But, remember I said that each time we talk about humbling, we talk about servanthood, there seems to be a precursor, which is about identity. And even in this letter, a couple of chapters earlier, in uh, 1 Peter 2, from verse 9, he reminds us of who we are. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I'm done. Let's stand together. Tim, would you come? Would you come? Uh, yes, sorry, I meant, can you come as a, as a worshiper? Uh, yeah, let's do what we're um, I'd just like to pray for us, and then we're just going to sing one more song. We are pretty well out of time. I hope there's enough time just for us to focus again on our identity in Jesus. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, we continue to trust you. And we continue to thank you that our identity is about all that you declare us to be. 
not what we think we are, not what other people say we are. And out of that, Lord, we want to be servants. And I want to pray, Father, one more time for the leaders of this nation. That, Father, you would raise up servants. That you'd raise up people who want to serve the good of this nation. And we call on you, Lord, that there would be Christian influencers very significantly involved in the highest places of authority in this nation in order that servant leadership, the very leadership that you, Jesus, modelled, can be demonstrated. And we pray for ourselves and we pray for this church and I pray for every leader and every member that you would help us to be people who serve you. People who are servants. And we do that because we know who we are. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just worship together as Tim leads us.